verse 1, and this is Abraham's wife, but Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. They've had quite a journey together, Abraham and Sarah. They are half-brother, half-sister through their father, Nahor, different moms. And of course, we've said this time and time again, the genetics of post-flood world early on there, nothing like it is now. And man, they knew each other for so long, and they obviously loved each other, and they shared that journey of faith for the son of promise, Isaac, together, all those decades of waiting on the Lord, waiting on his promises, the, the failed efforts of Hagar is going to be our solution, the surrogate mom, or just lie every time we come into somewhere because men are going to want to take you and kill me to get you. All those things are behind us now. And Sarah was 127. So she lived 37 years in that journey of being a mother with Isaac, the son of promise, and she passed away here. And this is the first record of weeping in the Bible. We see that Abraham came and he mourned for Sarah to weep for her. And life happens. There's just the years of the life of Sarah, they were complete. I mean, these were her lives. She the years of her life. She lived 127 years, and you and I are going to live X amount of years. And these are the years of that life summarized for her, and the life, our lives will be summarized for us as well. And it's just good to keep that in front of us. And it's a human experience. Sin entered through Adam, and all sin and all die in Adam. And there's no way getting around it. And for all the memorials and funerals and graveside services I've been a part of, there's more to come if I keep living because that's just the way the journey plays out. But fortunately for us and for Abraham, the father of faith, we can trust in the promises of God. And for him, it was a shadow, but for us, it's the fullness of knowing the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I find interesting before we move on from this is that Jesus called the place where the people who died in the Old Testament, Abraham's bosom. That was a place of comfort. And so before Abram stepped into eternity, his wife stepped into eternity. So from Abel to Enoch and all those of faith like Noah, they, they were in some place waiting on, on the things of the Lord. And we know when Christ died, he descended and raised up and ascended. And the saints of old appeared in Jerusalem, we're told in Matthew's gospel, some of them. And to me, it's just like, wow, like how amazing Abraham and Sarah were as a couple for their faith, and she's gone, and he's got to go it alone, and life's not going to look the same for him. We'll see more of that, but he's got to go forward, and we got to go forward, and we pick it up in verse 3. Then Abraham stood up before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abram, saying to him, here, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give to me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at full price as a property for burial place among you. 
Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. And then Abram bowed himself before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. Verse 14, we continue. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? So, so bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth. 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which were in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went into the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. And again, I just this chapter is an interesting chapter just because, of course, it's here. And God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us these details for all eternity in his word about the passing of Sarah and Abraham. And having ministered so often to people after the loss of a loved one, sometimes it's sudden, sometimes you can see it coming that as if it's not hard enough saying goodbye to a loved one, you often have just arduous things to do. People are trying to put together a slideshow for the memorial service. Sometimes people don't have the money to bury their dead. It can be so grievous. Death is grievous. And honestly, I don't know how people deal with it without Jesus Christ. I really don't. I honestly don't know how people handle it without faith in Jesus Christ for their own life and faith in Jesus Christ over that situation as they have to face it. But Abraham, you think of all he's been through, and here at this juncture, the way of all generations unfolds, and he buries his wife, and he has to buy the property and all those things. Life is messy, and, and death is difficult. And I just, I wish I could say otherwise than that. This chapter, there's not, I, there's not a lot in this chapter, I find, that uh, is life. And the Bible's brutally honest. And this chapter hurts. There's just not anything in this chapter. I go like, wow, look at this inside. I just think like, you know what? People you love die, and you're grieving, and you weep. People you love fulfill their years, and they're gone, and you're grieving, and you weep. And not only that, you're vulnerable to people who take advantage of you, and you still have to keep your wits while you're like in shock and handle funeral arrangements, handle the family, the relatives, the extended stuff, the obituary, and these things. And for the living, life still goes on in resolving the open ends of those who have passed away. And it's a reality. And again, I just say, for me personally, and I hope for you, can just say, praise the Lord that through faith in Jesus Christ, a chapter like this doesn't crush us or move us or destroy us if and when we face these days, and some of us have already faced days like this, that we will be comforted by the God of all comfort. He'll send the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, to comfort us in our grieving and in our sorrow and in our natural emotions of dealing with death. And he'll guide us and lead us through the burial arrangements that face us. And it's life, and there's just no way around it.
certificate of death and this and that. And, and one thing I do get before we move on is how Abraham said, I don't want you to give it to me. I have the money of all the things I want to buy. I want to buy the property where I bury my wife. I don't want a freebie on burying my wife. I'm going to bury her. I want to bury her in this cave. And, and when I go there, I'm going to remember my wife. I'm going to mourn my wife. And we know in future generations, others were buried in the same place in the family line. It is what it is. But in moving forward from this heartache and this reality, as a man of faith, losing his wife of faith, we read of the next event in his life, chapter 24, which is a lengthy chapter, a lot of narrative, but we want to read it tonight because there's some really good stuff in this chapter. So we pick it up from Abraham's heartache over losing his wife in sorrow. Now Abraham, chapter 24, verse 1, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, that would be Eliezer, we know that from earlier on in the book of Genesis, who ruled over all that he had, he said to Eliezer, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant who put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Well, there's plenty of stuff here in these first nine verses. First of all, isn't it good to have someone you trust who works for you? Isn't it good to have someone that gets it done? That you know when you send them on this journey, they'll get it done. And they'll resolve it. And they'll handle it on your behalf as you would hope. It's hard to find faithful people in the journey. It really is. And we want to be faithful people. We want to be people that when the Lord entrusts something to us, that we're faithful to do it. And we want to be faithful people when the boss gives us something to do, that they know it's going to be done, or we're going to come back to them and say, hey, I tried to do it. I couldn't get it done. Here's where it's at. What would you like me to do? It's just so nice to have people like that that work with you, beside you, or above you, or underneath you. And we want to be those people. So Eliezer gets my attention right away that decades... Eliezer's been there for decades because when God made the promise before Isaac was born, God said, Eliezer and his descendants are, are, are the heirs of what you've promised me. And God says, no, they're not the heirs. So we know that Eliezer's been with them forever. And it's hard to find faithful people. And there's lots of faithful people here at Worship Generation. So thank you for your faithfulness. And, you know, Jeremy Foster leaving, you don't replace Jeremy Foster, Pastor Jeremy. But man, that guy was a faithful, that guy was faithful. He was faithful. And, the, you know, it's interesting because personally to say goodbye to Jeremy and we've just kind of spread out what he used to do and you miss his friendship. But honestly, if you just look at it from a business standpoint, you, you miss his faithfulness and all that he could do and would do. Be faithful and let people miss you when you're gone because you were faithful. 
with Luke moving on from Grand Canyon, he only worked for them for a season before going to work for Corey now with Hyundai. But he was so faithful with Grand Canyon. And the highest bosses up were thanking him for everything he did, how he finished the journey, that he could come back and work for them again, which goes against their general policies. If you leave GCU, you're done with GCU. And they said, you have an open door to come back and work for us for any time because how he got it done. Be faithful. So when something major has to be done, it can be done. Remember when I told you Pastor Chuck in a meeting said, who's going to do family camp for us this year? And I'd, I said, well, I would do it, but I'm doing this. And he stopped me mid-sentence and went like that. Talk is cheap. The next year, I'm like, I'll do family camp. Just do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, talk is cheap. As the proverb says, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. So props the LAs are who for four decades at least have been a faithful right-hand man to Abraham. And Abraham's like grabbing him by the thigh. You swear to me, man, don't let my son marry the wrong woman. What's Esau going to do in the next generation? Marry Canaanites? And it's, what does it cost for the family? Grief. Abraham's like, dude, you go find someone equally yoked for my son. Well, what if what? If what? God's going to send his angel with you because we believe. And we didn't come this far with the son of promise to be hung out to dry marrying the wrong woman in the land of unbelief. So go, and the Lord will be with you. So you see, Abraham's still post Sarah passing away. He's still got his faith. He's like, look, next thing on the list, Isaac is 37. He's the son of promise. Nation, nations, kings, all nations are blessed through this son. Who he marries is pretty crucial and pretty critical. And we don't all have the same opportunities as Abraham to grab someone by the thigh and say, In Jesus' name, go get the right spouse. But we can appreciate where he's coming from here. Can two walk together if they're not in agreement? God said through the prophet Amos, and do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And we want all of our adult children to make good decisions. And I suppose, by and large, if it doesn't always work out that way, but we do the best we can when we have them under our stewardship, and then they make decisions, and we just pray for them. And if they're going to go against things that are good, then let them go against your prayers that are good, and let God just work in that and know that that's your offering to him. I think we can all relate to Abraham as a dad just saying, Oh, man, God, Lord God of heaven and earth, please help my son get the right wife that he could enjoy this journey and it would be the right fit equally yoked. So Eliezer is the one that's trusted with the task. But don't, don't let him marry a Canaanite woman. And whatever you do, don't let him go back where we came from because the promises are which direction with the Lord? Forward. Adelante. Atras is pasado. Okay? So forward is forward, and the past is behind us. And that's the way it works. That's why Paul the Apostle said, forgetting what's behind, I press on what lies ahead to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we certainly appreciate Abraham. No Canaanite women. He sounds like a picky father-in-law, huh, for Rebecca. No Canaanite women. And don't take him to the dating game in Syria. He stays here behind the wall here, if you know the old dating game TV show. 
and we'll we'll figure this out. I just love that Eliezer is like, well, what, 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 what? God's angel's going to go with you. Your faith's going to grow too, Eliezer. Now get on with the journey. We pick it up in verse 10. Then the servants took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all of his master's goods were in his hand. He's showing up with a good dowry, so that's a good look. Read on. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Well, this is an interesting proposal from Eliezer, but he's trying to discern God's will. And so he says, all right, God, Lord God of my master. I mean, I've seen you work in Abraham's life. We're all circumcised on that same day. So I'm in agreement with these things. But, um, so I've been thinking on this journey that something unusual needs to happen. I need a sign. And if a woman would come out and give me a drink and offer my camels a drink, that's going to be the sign. What I like about this story is God does meet us where we're at. He, he knows where we're at. He knows our framework but dust. And as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities us in a good way. So in this story right here, Eliezer says, I think as best I can discern, this is how I'm going to know. So God of Abraham, please guide me this way. We see this in the Bible and other places, right? Remember Jonathan, a thousand years later, David's good friend, Saul's son, with the Philistine army, he says to his armor bearer, well, God can deliver a few or many. Jonathan had faith. And he's like, well, Though we're all hiding from the mighty Philistine army, God's going to deliver us. He's given us this land, so it would stand to reason he can deliver with a whole army or just a few. And what if he wants to deliver with us? And his armor bearer is like, yeah, that, that would seem to make sense. Like, but how will we know? And then Jonathan said, hey, if we say this and they say that, we'll know it's the Lord. But if we say this and they say that, we know we need to run away because it's not the Lord. And they gave that standard and then it did go the way they're hoping to a steps of faith. And Jonathan and his armor bearer did go because it played out exactly like the way they said it did. And then they routed the Philistine army. And that really began to move the tide in the direction where David is going to come to power. That's early on in the book of Samuel, like chapter 10 or 11 in that range. And then David defeats Goliath in chapter 17. So it's all kind of moving in that direction. But what you will notice in both these cases is that when God showed them a sign, and we'll see this in a moment, they moved on that sign. In other words, you say, Lord, if you do this and you confirm that, then I'll do that and I'll go for it. But if you say, Lord, do this and I'll do this, and then he does it and you don't do it, that's not good. That's not good. Because he meets us where we're at. It's like Gideon, where Gideon's like, okay, I'm gonna put the fleece out, the ground's dry, the fleece is wet. I'll know you're in it. And then God does that, and he's like, all right, well, bear with me, because I'm that kind of person. Let's reverse that order, just in case I'm misreading, and it's freak weather happening in Palestine right now. God reverses the order, and then he's like, okay, well, 
bear with me because it's just, I'm just a little not certain about this because my tribe is the least tribe, my dad's house is the least house, and I'm the least in my father's house. So remember, I'm the least important person in all of Israel. I'm the most unlikely deliverer of Israel. So just to be sure, and God says, well, now go down to the camp of the Midianites and just go for, you know, go for a little walk and listen carefully. And he goes down there and he hears the two guys saying, I had a dream. It was a giant loaf of barley. It rolled down the hill and rolled us all. Steam rolled us. And the one Midianite says to the other, well, that's nothing other than the, the, the sword of Gideon. And Gideon's like, oh my goodness, they're talking about me with this barley loaf. And he's like, now I know. And then he moved on that. And then God did all the things he did with Gideon. The point is this. It's good to say, Lord, if you're in this, please confirm it. And as he confirms it, you need to move on it. We need to move on it. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for them. It's not yet seen. So we put things before the Lord, and then when he confirms it, we need to move on it. That's how we're meant to live. And if you're not sure about things in a moment, I think you can learn a lot from this. God, I'm not sure, but if it went this way, then I'll, I'll go this way. Please give me a sign. And God will do that. He'll meet us where we're at. He wants us to go forward, and he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Because the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the face of the earth. So it was true 1,300 years later in Azariah's generation, when that word was spoken to Azariah the king, it's true for Eliezer right here. So he said, God, I've seen you work in Abraham's life. I need you to work in mine right now. Can I just get the afterglow? Because you've been, you're the God of Abraham, and I've seen good things, so can I get in on that? It's almost like people watching all the great things that God with Pastor, did with Pastor Chuck and Greg Laurie and Raul Reese and Mike McIntosh and these cast of misfits who are redeemed by the Lord. Maybe it could work that way. That was the beautiful thing about the Harvest Book that came out in 1987 with Calvary Chapel. The testimony of all those original pastors is if you read that book, you thought, man, God can use anybody if we're just available, if we're just willing to go. And we're part of that legacy because that's an ongoing legacy throughout church history. Remember I mentioned with Hudson Taylor and that group he took with the first group of the Inland China Mission, the Lemuel group, None of them were ordained or certified in any type of formal ministry, and they all got on that boat, survived the typhoon, got to China, and the rest is church history. And they all went different directions as time went on. But man, so you just got to appreciate Eliezer going like, I need you to show yourself to me right now, and I'm thinking, if this happens and that happens, we'll know you're in it. Okay? We pick it up in verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking. Love that detail. That behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher in the trough, ran back to the well water, drew for all of his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden nose ring, 
weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10 shekels of gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Malka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward his master. As for me, being on my way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. It's just so awesome when you see the Lord work like that. When you invite him to work personally and powerfully in your life, and you get to see it happen. Can you think of times like that in your life? I hope you can. Just where the Lord just did something so powerful, and you're just like, wow, like that laughter of praise, like, wow, Lord, this is crazy that you could do this, and you would work this out. Being on my way, the Lord led me to my master's brethren. Look at that verse from Eleazar. Being on my way, the Lord led me to my master's brethren. When we are willing to go and be on our way and be faithful, we will be sent to our master's brethren. But we have to be willing to be on our way. What is God preparing you for? What does he have for you on your way to meet up with your master's brethren and how he wants to use you? a good question. Verse 29. Now, Rebecca's got relatives. This is where the story gets good. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to meet the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw, I'm sorry, I just can't, Laban makes me laugh. He's a money guy, man. He's, he's an opportunistic guy. We all know a Laban's like, hey, come in, come in. We all know a Laban. So I can't even really talk about it without laughing. And God forbid he's your father-in-law too, by the way, because <laughs> he's, a, he's a tough nut for a father-in-law. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me, and he went out to the man there and stood by the camels at the well, and he said, come in, O blessed the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and the place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And food was set before him to eat. But he said, that is Eleazar, I will not eat until I've told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, verse 34, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son in my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way and you shall take a wife from my son from my family and from my father's house you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family for if they will not give her to you then you will be released from this this oath my oath and this day i came to the well and i said O lord god of my master abraham if you will now prosper the way in which i go behold i stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass 
that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from the pitcher to drink, and she says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew the water, and I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her drink down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, God of my master, Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Eliezer's on a mission, isn't he? He's just on a mission. Like, here's the dowry. This is the testimony. Are you in or not? Let's, let's get on with this. Is this going to happen? Tell me. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let, let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard the words and he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, uh, Let the young woman stay with us a few days. At least ten. After that, she may go. And then he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands and of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And by the way, what the family proclaimed the blessing upon her did come to pass. It still comes to pass. Her descendants, Israel. Israel right now, they possess the gates of their enemies, to say the least. And the church is a triumphant church, and the church is the descendants of her spiritually. And the gates of hell do not prevail against us. We have victory over the grave. We have victory over the kingdom of darkness. We have victory over sin and the principalities and powers. Truly the blessings that were spoken upon her 4,000 years ago have come to pass and are still in in full function for the nation of Israel and the, the Jewish people in that sense with an unfinished business with the Lord in the future. And truly these things have come to pass for the body of Christ. We are Jesus rose from the grave as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his church is a triumphant church. And this story is pointed out as a type of Jesus and his bride because the Father sends the Holy Spirit, like Eliezer, to get a bride, which is the church, to bring to his son Isaac, who's a type of Jesus. So if you're unaware of that that typology, it's good to point it out right here at this point. The Father sends the Spirit 
to get a bride for the son. And we are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and the Spirit is preparing us. And of course, when the Lord comes for us, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's wonderful stuff. Again, what is this? It's a shadow of things to come, but the fullness is Christ. And now we close it out. Verse 62, Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and he looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isn't that the human experience? One generation comes and goes, and another generation arises. There's young love, and then there's the mid-season, and then there's the late season. God's given the seasons. And there's, there's always a new day. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. He gives us fresh starts. Every day is a fresh start. I love how John Wooden, the famous basketball coach, used to say, make each day its masterpiece because each day is a fresh start. And what I've learned to do with each day and its opportunities is when I feel like I've just had a colossal failure or just super frustrated in the early part of the day, I just bring in a sports analogy like a pitcher, like, okay, I just got rocked for six runs in the third, but I'm still in here, and i got to start throwing strikes and just settle down and redeem this day. And what I've really focused on is not throwing away a day and saying it's a bad day when there's still more than a half a day and there's still more than a third of a day or a fourth of a day. I don't want to surrender any portion of any day to my pride, my flesh, or my frustration or the devil, and nor do you. His mercies are new every morning. And yes, there's a time when we weep. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that. And then there's a time when we rejoice. And to go from the sorrow of Sarah's memorial to the joy of the wedding with Rebecca, that's life, isn't it? I mean, that's life. There's just an ebb and flow and there's seasons and we just want the promises of God and the love of Christ over all those things in our life. And we want the spirit flowing from our life in the heartache of a memorial and we want the joy and the love of Christ flowing from our lives in the joy of a wedding day. And really, as a pastor, you see a lot of both. And they're such different types of ministries, and they're both so intense. Memorials are intense. Weddings are intense. It just, but it's life. It's life. And we live it. But like Abraham, we want to live it by faith. And we're in the moment. And Sarah's in the cave of Machpelah. She's in the presence of the Lord. Whatever that looked like before Christ came, that's where she's at. Abraham's bosom before Abraham's there. That's where she's at. Isaac is alive and he needs a wife and she's not a Canaanite. <laughs> and she just no, and you can't take him back there. So I close with this thought that God has it all and we just keep trusting him in the different seasons. Like what's amazing to me about Abraham in this chapter is that it doesn't look like the previous chapters where we've looked at Abraham, right? The intensity of offering up Isaac, the the raid against Chedorlaomer and the commando raid. There's so much intensity in the life of, of Abraham with fulfilling the promises and believing the promises. And these two chapters are like, wow, death, heartache, sorrow, buying a, a burial plot. 
old, very old, but bless of the Lord and finding a wife for your son and knowing which women are not the right women for your son and giving it to the Lord and to your servant who's been faithful for decades and giving it to the Lord. And what we learn is to trust in the Lord in all things. And that last thought with Eliezer is God goes before us. God goes before us. He goes before us. Walk in the Spirit, be sensitive to the Spirit, discern the Spirit, and know that God goes before us. Because even as Eleazar was thinking the prayer in his heart to the Lord, God was already answering it before he even got done thinking it. He's got us. God goes before us in every situation. Isn't that great? The angel of the Lord. Don't you say, hey, grab my thigh. I'm telling you, God is faithful and his angel will go with you. And it's as true for us today, the descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ, as it ever was for Eliezer, Isaac, and Abraham in their day.